Hello, and welcome to the IC Tech Talks podcast, part of the IC's CPD program. I'm James Crumley, a Knowledge Manager here at the ICE. In this episode, we are exploring how the principles of the circular economy can change how engineers design infrastructure and what impact it is already having for the industry's approach to carbon reduction. To explore this topic, I have two exciting guests joining me. Jan V. Shah, Head of Asset Management Strategy at National Highways, and Janet Dunnett, Program Development Manager at Network Rail. Janvi, do you want to say hello and tell us a bit about yourself and your current role? Hi, so I'm Dr. Janvi Shah. My uh, role is uh, I'm the Head of Asset Management Strategy in National Highways. And as a part of that, I develop an uh, asset management policy and strategy for the company, but also look after an asset management transformation program. One of the key things that uh, I do in my current role is to see how how we manage our assets and how the, we manage the risks associated to our assets are all interrelated with uh, you know climate change, adaptation, and also applying net zero principles. So this has become my uh, um, something I'm very passionate about. Thank you. And Janet, same to you. Do you want to tell us a little about yourself and say hello? Hello, everyone. I'm Janet Dunnett, as James has just said, and I'm a Program Development Manager leading on sustainability for Northern Powerhouse Rail. I'm leading also on a carbon project with the Department of Transport and National Highways. We're also working on that project, so that's great. And also, I do a lot of work in the circular economy field, both within Network Rail and outside of Network Rail. It's a big passion of mine. Super. Thank you, Janet. So, Janet, staying, staying with you to start, what do we mean when we talk about the circular economy? Well, it, it occurred to me um, that really the circular economy in part is referring to what the older generation, of which I am a part, <laughs> have always done. You know, we've reused, repaired, that's the way we were brought up, not throwing things away, not using things once. And, you know, obviously for generations, there, there weren't the, the amount of plastic single-use things that there are now. But basically, technically, we call this an approach that isn't linear, that isn't taking resources, making a product, and then disposing of and producing waste at the end of its life. The opposite being that you consider the whole life cycle of products and you preserve their highest value um, for as long as possible. And, and you design products and materials that can be reused, repaired, remanufactured, and on top of that, even better, low carbon and resource efficient and avoiding resources, of course, from areas of conflict or, or human rights abuse. That all has to really be part of it when you're considering, you know, materials design. You know, we know that there are many products and uh, particularly metals like cobalt and nickel, lithium that are used in, in many technologies now and they are becoming quite difficult to get hold of or they're in countries that are in conflict. And we've seen that very recently, obviously, with getting hold of certain things um, because of Ukraine-Russia conflict. Thank you. And Jeremy, what, what does, I guess, the sector economy mean to you and uh, your work? Yeah, thank you. So uh, pretty much building on what Janet said there, I mean, it is a system-focused approach where we tackle global challenges such as climate change, loss of biodiversity, uh, and minimizing and managing waste and pollution. What I'd add here is it's interesting because humans are considered to be one of the most intelligent species, right, on Earth. And whilst our intelligence has allowed us for generations to, to, to build infrastructure, to build uh, large scale, uh, to drive technological changes, uh, and even bring about cultural reforms where something that was a distant uh, 
around driverless cars and high-speed rail has become a common reality, there is one big difference for us compared to our to other species, where other species adapt to their natural habitat, to their natural environment. Humans, on the other hand, have changed this environment in, in the course of action uh, to suit our ambitions. And this is where, for me, circular economy is about making that paradigm shift where we need to move and embrace a future that is resourceful, less waste as a result, and thinks about the value of those designs and the component parts of it that can be reused again and again without having to have a single purpose product. Yeah. Rings true with you, Janet. I, I'm guessing what uh, Janvi's added. Yeah, she's she's right. She's absolutely right um, about uh, human beings. We we should be more innovative and more adaptable to our um, surroundings, and we often aren't. Yeah, I agree. And I, uh, let's stay with you, Janvi. So I guess you both touched upon some of these already, but I guess if you had to sort of summarise the core principles of what the circular economy led, I guess design, you know, for, for civil engineers would be. I guess what are the, what are those what will those principles be and how do they take form? As Janet mentioned earlier, I think this is it. So initially, we always have used a linear model of, you know, take resources from the earth, make your products, make your designs, make your roads, machines, whatever it is, and then, you know, dispose of the waste back into back into the planet without giving conscious consideration of what this means. We are exhausting, you know, natural resources. We are releasing emissions, causing all the climate change as well. Whereas circular economy is a fundamental shift, not just in how we consume things, but also how we think about uh, its intended use. So we need to shorten this so-called linear model into where we can minimize extracting those resources in the first place, where we use what we call secondary raw materials, where things are built to last longer, to be right first time, and more importantly, where we don't think of replacing things, but actually repairing it or using the component parts of that design in a way that continues to retain value, even after its intended original purpose is over. So simply put, this is the six R principles as, as, the, as you know, there's a lot of literature that calls it the six R principles about reuse, reduce, re refuse, repair, recycle. But ultimately, it's about applying all those principles into how we design, how we build, and we maintain our 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 infrastructure and and, and our assets as well. And Janet, you are, I guess, a, I don't want to say you, yeah. a strong believer in, I guess, in the six R's and how they you know, are applied. There and are being even nine, in fact, in some of the models I've seen, the nine R's. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just great graduations of the same principles. But yeah. yes, I've seen you know, and and as I always say, in environmental hierarchy, at the top of the hierarchy has to be avoid. You know, do nothing, avoid, and that is often not followed. That the top of every environmental hierarchy, whether it's biodiversity or carbon or whatever it is, can you actually avoid doing anything that will cause an impact in the first place? Do you actually need to do it, or can you do it in a different way that will avoid the impact? So, I think organisations need to turn things on their head, and they have to completely rethink how they manage their resources in order to attain this financial, environmental, and social benefit in both their short term often they are short-term and longer-term perspectives. We really must take a much longer-term perspective on all manner of environmental things, but obviously circular economy. And I think with asset management, certainly in the railways, many of the assets are very, very long-term. You know, we've got Victorian age assets and we need to take that very long-term approach about 
about what we put in now, what is going to happen to that when it needs repairing or replacing further down the line. It might be 30 years time, it might be 50 years time. And I don't believe that thinking is really embedded in a lot of organizations um, about the impacts of what they are designing and in installing now. And, and Janet, on that first point around avoid or uh, build, build nothing, I guess, sort of approach, is, is that something you're seeing, I guess, within your role at the moment? Is that, is that a conversation, I guess, that's happening and a question that's being asked a lot more than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago or something? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is is certainly driven, as, we, as we're probably aware, by cost efficiencies. Things usually come back to cost, unfortunately, and I don't think we should be thinking only about cost, but that is often the case with infrastructure projects or expansion. But in some ways, that has been a good thing because it has perhaps driven people to think about big rail projects and think about, do we really need to build this or build it in this way? Can we do less in order to achieve the outputs that we need for the railway? Um, so I, I believe that some of that has um, been taking place, which is which is a good thing. Um, yeah, but not enough, not enough of the avoiding, a little bit too much of the mitigation of the impact <laughs> further down the line. Genevieve, you see much of the, I guess, the, the avoid rising in prominence at all being applied. Yes, there are. There, this is an ongoing debate, especially in the in the light of given given uh, uh, you know commitments, especially when we talk about net zero and so on. But I think the best way to achieve net zero, um, especially, is is really through good asset management, where we think about where we can make most of our current assets, so enhance or renew more than than create, and it means that we can not only that we intervene at the right time but also we maximize the life of our current assets. So we do it right first time. We intervene proactively. We, we minimize the waste and the repeat work that ends up happening you know, multiple times. And um, none of this is new, uh, to simply put. These are good principles of whether it's effective asset management or whether it's sustainability or whether it's quality. Uh, none of this is new, but we need to emphasize this a lot more uh, rather than go back uh, with a blank piece of paper and create new uh, well, ideas. Of course, there is room for technology, using and maximizing uh, the demand through, the, through technology, where we can think about building EV charging points. You know, we actually smarten up our infrastructure. So there is a lot of room for innovation and technological advancements here. But it is also about sticking to the, the basics, uh, first principles, uh, as Janet explained earlier. And Jeremy, I guess, staying with you on the I guess, as I think about civil engineers, I guess, what on, I guess, how are they starting to think about this and applying it practically sort of for projects? Because I guess there's some six to nine core principles that they can think about, but actually how, you know, the average engineer applies it to their infrastructure project can be very varied and uh, and stuff. How, I guess, yeah, what, what or how are you seeing that sort of coming together? So I, I, th- I think a lot of our civil engineers have started to think about this much more actively than 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 before and um you know especially in the building sector where a lot of modern methods of constructions have have come into play and looking at you know how can we construct homes and structures by using localized products how do we make that not only of course looks at the net zero principles and you know circular economy principles but also creates ways for creating new jobs for building prosperity other than that i know that we need to bring these principles up in prominence. We need to improve its uh, 
we need to educate more uh, our our fraternity our you know the new budding engineers we need to actually intrinsically find ways of how we can get this designs right first time where our standards need to be more adaptable where we can have rapid implementation of some of these new materials new designs and i think the whole process right from the standards to its building to its procurement to using some of this new material and technology needs to be a little bit more rapid and adapting to change quicker that's where i think our civil engineers can add value a lot more value and Janet, would you agree too i guess especially on that I guess that point around standards and their sort of rapid change flexibility. Yeah. Is that something that's going to be a big conversation, you know, now and will continue? Yes. And, and, and our engineers are starting to have that conversation. I mean, I, I, I actually think some of our engineers in network rail are very passionate and about sustainability and actually very proactive, sometimes more proactive than the sustainability people who are perhaps more hampered. But I, I've always said it's the people at the, it's it's the people at the coalface that are actually going to make the changes. We obviously, as sustainability professionals, we have to uh, raise awareness and we have to provide the information and the, and the sort of the prompts to do that. But actually, it's the people at the coalface in renewals and maintenance and engineering and design who have to take this all on board and uh, uh, you know to 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 make the changes. So in network rail, you know we're we're undertaking. We've got a really good um, environment and sustainability strategy with some challenging targets in there around all sorts of topics, but particularly circular economy. We are going through sort of processes of raising awareness and 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 training, which is really important. Uh, one of the most important things, uh, changing our technical standards and specifications because they can sometimes affect the ability to to act quickly and proactively and be innovative it can it can hamper innovation um, if you sort of stick like glue to those they're there for a good reason they're there for safety reasons they're there for quality reasons but sometimes they're not there for good reasons and they, and they, and they do need to be changed and that's something engineers are looking at and also procurement procurement with many environmental topics is absolutely crucial if you don't ask for it and you don't give the space to your suppliers or your engineers to do it, and you don't provide incentives, then it isn't going to happen. So uh, and there, are, there are other things, but I'll sort of stop there. Well, just just one more, I guess, aspect from that, Janet. I guess you mentioned suppliers, and I guess that supply chain which, you know, can be very big you know, in a lot of infrastructure projects. I guess how do you, you know, even when you've got your, your own teams interested using the right methods, how do you, I guess, get that going down the supply chain? Because I guess we're talking, mm. you know, even more organizations who are used to doing things a certain way. And some of this is going to be quite mm. a big change for a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to collaborate with those suppliers and work very closely with them and, and develop those sort of relationships because it, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a big chasm between suppliers and client, you know, what the, the, the most productive relationships and uh, outcomes are from those collaborative working relationships which which i try to engender you know for example on the carbon project i'm working on very close relationship with the supplier that we're working with and national highways and their supplier so we need to specify in procurement what exactly we want and how we want the supplier to achieve it and then most importantly we need to make sure they actually carry it through and that we actually are checking and verifying that what we've asked for we are actually getting and that's the bit sometimes is is often missing so whether that's a full repair service or it's a leasing scheme that takes back and repairs and then you know brings the product back you know there, there are many approaches to that but if we don't ask for it it won't happen 
Janvi, any, I guess anything similar for you in terms of how you get the supply chain, I guess, with us on this journey or I guess bringing forward the innovations in many places as well? Indeed. And I think the magic word there is collaboration. So even when we were talking about within the organization, so one of the things we we are very proactively doing in National Highways is when it is our net zero plan or whether it is our, uh, you know, in delivering that approach, we've got a cross company wide approach where we are all working together, whether it is, you know, the, the function that sets standards, the, the function that is operating, maintaining and renewing assets or the function that is uh, delivering. Uh, these designs and creating new new assets. The, the point here is that everybody has a role to play. Everybody comes together yeah. and, and, and collaboratively ensures that any new material are adapted, our standards are flexible, new new trials are done uh, rapidly, and uh, you know this this is the only way we can actually achieve these ambitious targets that are set out by the government uh, and for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. In addition, working closely with suppliers is absolutely paramount but also with academia that's yeah. where we can really mentor yeah. and bring the right skills for the future as well to start thinking about what we call the green workforce yeah uh, for tomorrow we invest in r&d now in network rail and the railway has not traditionally i believe been uh, put a great deal of investment into research and development and innovation and we now have a fairly sizable budget for research development and innovation working very closely with multiple partners to develop innovation in, in innovation in, in methods or processes or indeed products so that's a good thing and janet stay with you i guess all those things that perhaps need to change and i guess everything you guys are doing on that journey is, is there anything missing is there any big barriers out there still that you know if you had a magic wand you would change today or anything that comes to mind that i guess it's somewhere in government that they need to take action and lead, lead perhaps on some of these things Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got legislation out there that, that that you know, like the waste framework directive, and we've got European Green Deal, we've got the forthcoming Environment Bill. But if we don't implement and they're not policed, then nothing will change. So I believe we have got many resources now. But as we all know, our biggest environmental problem is changing human behaviour. We are the problem, humans, as Jamvi indicated at the beginning of our discussion. So what's missing? Um, as I mentioned previously, is information knowledge and the imperative to change. You know, people need that imperative, I think, to, to urge them to do it, as we saw with COVID over the last two years. Not a very nice imperative, but it was an imperative to, to do different things and work differently and, and, and so on. So we need to ramp up the training and awareness raising to ensure that all our focus is on the environment on green skills, as Jambi also mentioned, as they call developing sustainability, uh, sustainable, sorry, and low impact materials and construction methods. Um, so, so we have to do something. Jambi, is there anything that you still see out there as a, a big challenge or something that's missing, I guess, from the journey? Yeah, and I, and I I think that this is this is the opportunity, right? With every change comes uh, there's there's a new opportunity, and where we are right now, there are, there are two main points. So first one is we are sort of operating in two streams, where one strain is we are looking at the cost of things because of you know economic drivers, especially with where we are in in, in the global. Um, situation post pandemic war lots of many things so there is a drive to to look at cost there is obviously the drive to maintain quality and how do we have these trade offs when we look at the cost the quality and then add the the environment angle to it i think 
there's an opportunity here to provide more clarity, more nationally con- you know, frameworks, more guidance from the government. Uh, and probably we all have a role to play in it, you know, whether it's national highways, network rail, other transport authorities, engineering fraternity as a whole, to see how do we make these connections and these trade-offs much more clear or simpler so, so we, can, we can get the best of it. It's, it's getting the right fit without compromising anyone. Uh, and I think this is a big, big constraint. The other one, uh, I believe, is ex- exactly, it's what are the skills we need? It's articulating what is the vision for that green workforce or green task force for tomorrow? What, uh, what do we see them doing? What are the kind of training we want to provide? What, what kind of uh, support system we need to give? And for that, our professional bodies have a key role to play. How do we encourage them to have a pathway where our current engineers and future engineers are able to gain professional qualifications, not just on the basis of this, of the very vital engineering uh, skills and training, but also on the sustainability and the environmental credentials. Yes, and I guess that's certainly industry has been on that journey for a while and it has to bring in people from many different skill backgrounds to sort of, you know, mm. balance against that sustainability side, bring in skills on the technology side. And I guess it's going to continue and probably going to accelerate in terms of what we need and the people we're going to be seeking and training and recruiting. Uh, but yes, Jeremy, still with you, I guess thinking, you know, I guess people looking there out there for inspiration at the moment, is there a, I guess a project or a part of a project out there that you can think of that's perhaps doing this or at least trying to change things quite radically with the circular economy and uh, uh, what, one that you think people should check out and uh, find out more about? Uh, well, I, I think um, there, there are lots of little, little, little changes we can see. And, and what I would go for is to say some of the new materials, especially within our within national highways, we've seen, you know, introducing warm asphalt mix into our net zero journey, thinking about looking at how we've adapted our specifications to promote increasing the use of recycled materials. You know, there are quite a few changes that have happened over the past few years that together are providing that effect. But if I give a non-engineering uh, example. I think That's there's fine. one to watch is is exactly Tesla uh, looking at how they're looking at their components. How do they reuse the components? And re- there's a lot of lessons learned from other from other manufacturing sectors as well in this space. Janice, is there is there a project company that comes to mind? You think sort of is you know, well, striving or doing good things in this area and worth 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 uh, listeners checking out? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Network Rail itself is 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 changing this and already does some good work. So we do have um, materials handling centers around network rail and um, resource um, sort of distribution centers. So there is the materials handling centers already take back various products and materials of which we have many of the same thing, whether that's track or switches and crossings or signals or whatever it might be. And they're already taking some of those back and ballast and cleaning them and then deciding whether there are sufficient quality to send back out or whether they need to send them to another uh, recycling uh, plant, you know, and sell them on sort of thing. I don't think at the moment we're we're doing enough. So there's not enough reuse. And I think we could be doing a lot more, but there are obviously issues around that in terms of technical quality and specification and storage. So that's something else that that, that one of the projects we're involved with is looking at. We're also working with academia, as Jamie said, to look at particular products and how we can make them more circular. So University of London is is hosting a a project that we are working with. So there are some some really good practice things already going on and already pockets of of work across Network Relic. It just needs to be more consistent, more widespread. And I think we will get there um, for sure. 
Thank you. And as you said, there's there's so many pockets of good things like this going on around different projects, and it's just trying to accelerate it at a to scale. But equally, I guess it's that sharing, isn't it, that we need to know what's going on in different mm. sets of different projects because yeah. it's probably there's probably someone already out there who's, as you said, solving our problem has that solution already that we just perhaps don't know about. Yeah. And many of the arm's length bodies, the public sector, like National Highways and ourselves, we're in, a, we're in fact, I'm in a group with many of the public sector bodies, and they are looking at things like resource exchange mechanisms, basically a kind of eBay to exchange materials. Um, this has already been trialled by the Dutch railways, for example, and we've talked to them at length. So we, we just need to really push these things forward. Um, as I said, storage centres, exchanging materials, and so on. So Janet, just staying with you, I guess with the sort of final thought is... I guess if you could say one, you know, take, say one thing to a civil engineer to go away and do today to promote, I guess, the circular economy, what uh, what would you suggest they, they go away and do? Um, I'm probably going to say four things, <laughs> but, but brief, very brief. So inform themselves and others, challenge people around them and be utterly persistent. I find I have to be utterly persistent. Um, uh, you might call it nagging, but basically persistency change things now whether it's processes designs or products where you can and collaborate as we've already said to avoid waste and inefficiency and not duplicate so we you know even collaborating across organizations or across suppliers or, or, or you know it doesn't just have to be within your own organization it's kind of inform challenge change and collaborate four things sorry that's right there <laughs> january have you got one or four i guess you would give a give an engineer as a as a as an idea i guess what they should go away and do today to yeah play their part yes so i think janet has touched upon quite quite significant ones already so I, i'll add to that i think there are two then for my end first is to educate as as you said you know uh janet you, you touched upon it so educate but educate yourself but also educate what it means to a designer, a, a, a material scientist, you know, a, a researcher, uh, you know, an operator on the network. So I think it's about really spreading the word and educating by making it real. So what does it really mean? What can you in your role, in your specific aspect of your role, can you do to contribute to these principles of uh, of circular economy? So yeah. that's one. And the other one is, one. The, the other one is ability to transform. I think embrace change because it's, Although this is a lot of it is common sense, applying new principles often means changing the way we work, changing the way we think, changing the way we behave and how resistant we are to change only means we are further away from making it happen. So is to embrace it and adapt to it quickly is where I, I, would, uh, I would advise a new engineer. Thank you both uh, to Janvi and Janet uh, for joining us today. That's all we sort of have time for. Uh, but much appreciated you sharing your thoughts. You can learn more about this topic and find more podcasts and videos and other resources on the ICE Knowledge Hub, which you can access via ice.org.uk. New content will be launched most Thursdays this year, so do keep a lookout. This has been the ICE Tech Talks podcast. I've been your host, producer, James Crumley. We hope you can join us again soon. Goodbye. <laughs>